0: So getting into today's message, we are continuing to work through the grand story of the Bible. We had our origin story um, in the beginning, the rise and fall of humanity, Um, literally the plucking of pride from the tree, the defining of right and wrong on our own terms. Uh, we are moving on to the chosen ones. God called out people and we're in the kingdom of Israel and we're talking about the rise. We talked about the rise and fall of kings and, and then we started talking about prophets and we're in this section where we're looking at the, the prophets, the ancient prophets of old and today we're gonna look at Jonah, Jonah. I love the children's Bible. Hilda did a great job reading it this morning. I love that we take kind of these very far apart in some ways and yet so close in other ways, whether it's a children's Bible and then even a a more academic approach. And we can look at both and see value in both of them. I love that we're a church that that can do that too. So as we get into this, I want to offer you one big idea to think about, one big idea to think about. And I'm going to do this actually kind of like a prism, so, you know, light hits the prism, and then it, and then it disperses, and you have the different colors. Uh, I want to do one big idea, but I'm going to say it in a few different ways, hoping that it will hit different people in different ways, but it's the same core big idea. So the first one I want to lay before you, kind of the prime big idea, is this. A spirit of offense, a spirit of offense, a spirit of offense, an offended heart, it is the great enemy of intimacy, a spirit of offense is the great enemy of intimacy. How many times, how many people, they run from friendships, they run from small groups, they break relationship with parents, parents break relationship with kids, you leave churches, leave community leave work, and it all is so tied deeply into this idea of a spirit of offense. The spirit of offense is the great enemy of intimacy. Maybe another way to say it, so just like a prism, the light coming through it, taking a little different bend, but the same core idea. It is the easily offended person that keeps finding themselves feeling lonely and bitter. Ever notice that? The people that are really easily offended, they have a really easily offended heart. They're always really bothered by stuff, constantly. Are they not almost always the ones that find themselves lonely and bitter? Always finding themselves lonely and bitter. It's the easily offended person, the spirit that that just walks around with a chip on its shoulder, the one that's offended, deeply offended, and easily offended, and, and the thing that's so interesting is we live at a time in history where, like, cancel culture is considered courage. And what is cancel culture in most of its forms? It is literally be deeply offended and reject. So we have more tools than we've ever had in human history to connect, and we have hearts that are more lonely than they've ever been. In a mental health crisis, it's an easily offended person that keeps finding themselves feeling lonely and, and bitter. Maybe another way to look at this kind of the, prism the light coming through the prism those that hold grudges also hurt it's first service we got to wake up I got to get you moving here here we go that those that hold grudges also hurt they they do they do people that hold grudges also hurt themselves man it is not just you weaponizing a heart position towards somebody if you're holding a grudge it's hurting you Maybe another way to say it. So same core idea, different prisms, kind of of light. Let me say it like this. Satan wants to spin. Boy, this is the one that could offend people. Satan wants to spin your desire for righteousness. So inside of you, you go, that's not right. They're not right. They did this thing wrong. They mistreated. They said it wrong, did it wrong, think it wrong. Satan wants to spin your desire for righteousness in a way that turns your heart bitter towards the very people who need the love of God shown through you. Follow that train of thought. You'll probably want to write that down and think it through later. Your desire for righteousness becomes weaponized. And then the very objects of who the people who are needing the grace of God shown through you you are actually using that as justification to just rise up in even stronger, stronger, stronger spirit of offense. Uh, I'm going to introduce you to a, a group of guys. I got a picture. Put it up here really quick. Check this out. Look, look at those handsome men in their 40s. Uh, this is my accountability group. I, I've talked about them before. Uh, we get together. We try to get together every year. and We've been doing it since... High school, high school. So we've been getting together regularly. We Sometimes we'll really even get our whole families together, though that tends to be way more expensive uh, because we're all from the South, so we all have big families. Um, but if you kind of work your way across there, this group of guys is an odd mix for a whole bunch of different reasons, okay? So like the guy on the very right, tatted up everywhere. He was a college athlete. Uh, Aaron loved him to death. He is, uh, his perspective on some like theological things or even political things, I mean, he is actually a competitive champion uh, jiu-jitsu grappler. One of my best friends in the whole world. He does comp. If you follow him on social media, he goes to all these competitions and wins these things. They love him, right? And you know, Dave. He's been in like the oil business for a while. Jeremy, he's fellow pastor. James, fellow pastor. And then the guy on the far left. Uh, that's Lance. He's a landscaper man. He like started doing landscaping, mowing lawns and stuff in high school, and just continued that all the way through. Now, here's the funny thing with this group of people. We are so different in many ways. Some of us are like. Graduate school educated, some only went to high school. Some of us have views on political things that don't necessarily line up with others in the group. Some of us, we have different views on things like alcohol. We debate constantly Calvinism, Arminian theology. I mean, like, there are so many things about this group that should cause us to not get along, but we're incredibly tight. And have been for years. How? We're an odd bunch. Some single, some married. Different theological perspectives on some issues. Different views on some political things. Some of us are pastors. Some of us aren't. Some of us went to grad school. Some of us uh, only graduated from high school. How in the world do we all get along so well? This is what we discovered We are all deeply passionate followers of Jesus, and here's what we've discovered. The reason most people can't find lasting friend group is precisely because they keep leaving a group and searching for a better one. They're always leaving, always looking. It's like, the ten things that make up me, and I found a group that has seven that are really close, five, six, seven, eight, that's eight, sorry, eight, that match me really well, and then you find one that might have nine, so you abandon this group and then try to start over with the next group, and you're always doing this, back and forth, trying to find that like perfect fit, leaving, constantly leaving, always looking for a better one, always on the move, uh, and, and here's kind of what we've discovered too, just to throw this thought out there. The road to good friendship, that we've talked about this a lot, the road to good friendship isn't found in perfect alignment. The road to good friendship isn't found in perfect alignment or perfect matching preferences. But in learning to handle well what you don't agree on. The road to good friendship isn't found in perfect alignment of preferences, but in learning to handle what you don't agree on well. Spirit of offense, the great enemy of intimacy. A spirit of offense is the great enemy of intimacy. Maybe another way to say it would be like this. The road to great friendship isn't found in perfect people. Let me just read that really, 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 really slow. The road to great friendship isn't found in perfect people. But in a group of imperfect people refusing to give up on the pursuit of perfect love together. Do you see it? I love the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it. He says it like this The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will. You create it, you build it, you make it. Not by what you perfectly align on, but by perfectly pursuing charity together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Life Together. So maybe the way to say it really clear would be this, my lifelong best friend group wasn't found in perfect people, but people refusing to give up on perfectly loving each other, perfectly, on perfecting love together. Moreover, right, I have seen and felt their love most clearly on the days I didn't deserve, I didn't deserve it. I felt their love most clearly on the days I knew I was off and they still offered it to me. I felt their love most clearly when I knew I was wrong and they still offered charity to me. A spirit of offense is the great enemy of intimacy. In fact, the way to say it would be the love of God, charity, the charity of God is seen most clearly in the places it's most needed. And honestly, you cannot understand the grand story of Jonah unless you begin to see through the lens of God's desire for intimacy. A couple of things about Jonah to think about. Number one, Jonah is unique among the prophets because the story isn't about the words of the prophet, but the story of the prophet himself, right? So as odd as it is, we often read the story of Jonah and think that the story is about Jonah rescuing the Ninevites, but that's not actually the point of the story, though that's important. The point of the story is to display the heart of Jonah. What's wrong with Jonah? We know a couple things contextually. The readers of this story would have known this. Based on 2 Kings 14, Amos 6, we already know that Jonah's character is flawed He is, in all honesty, a prophet gone bad. So think of Jonah. I mean, think of Jonah like this. Think of Jonah as like the pastor who's got a bad heart. The small group leader who's failed. The fellow Christian who has really let you down. I mean, this is the person that's the reason why you left your last church. That's Jonah. Jonah is the person that's the reason why you left your last church. That's Jonah. He's not a hero. He's not a hero. He's not a hero. The other thing about Jonah and the story is it's really interesting, is this the stereotyped characters. Do the opposite of what you would expect, especially as you align this story with the other ones that surround it, the other prophetic stories. They all do the opposite of what you would expect them, right? The prophet is the guy with the bad heart. The immoral sailors are the ones who repent. The powerful king humbles himself and the vile nation wants to be right with God. Everybody's doing the opposite of what you would expect them to do in this story. I got another picture. I actually shot this. It's from my study Bible at home. I'm going to put this picture up here. I want to walk you through. This is by the encouragement card from my... Our staff did encouragement cards to each other. I took the picture and realized it was sitting in there, and I decided to leave it. So our staff is good. I like the culture of our team. Uh, But this is from my study Bible, like in the, the pages leading up to the actual text. And you'll even notice from my very sloppy handwriting as I'm sitting outside reading the Bible... Jonah had to start over after his running. It was a long, hard, overland journey into the heart of Assyria, right where Nineveh was at. So literally, if you're looking at the map, you can kind of see where Tarshish, see the little on the far left side in the middle of the water there in the Mediterranean Sea. Jonah leaves and goes in the opposite direction over water, running away from God's call God sends this massive storm. The sailors are humbled in heart. Jonah admits that he did something wrong, as was read earlier by Hilda. And he confesses it by Jonah's own request. He's thrown over sea because he would rather die than be nice to these people that have been so mean to him. And then a huge fish gobbles him up. Okay, so now hang with me. If you are sitting here and you're like, dude, this is all just a metaphor and I don't even believe it's real. Let me just pause today and say, fine. But let's still ask the question, what's the point of the metaphor? Even if you just think it's a metaphor, don't ignore what it's trying to say. Let's still see it together. We can circle back around on whether it's metaphor or not at another date. But let's at least be willing to look at the prime idea of what it's trying to say, whatever you believe about it. So Jonah, on his way to Tarshish, the big storm hits, thrown overboard, and a fish gobbles him up. Now, this is such a wild, powerful illustration. For three days, he is kept alive in utter darkness while God works to purge the sin from Jonah's heart. Jonah's literally being detoxed himself. The fish basically takes him back, drops him off. See where it says Israel, right, on the Sea, the Mediterranean Sea. Good luck to the people that are listening to this on the podcast later. Uh, But where it says Israel takes him back, drops him back off on the beach, and then he still has to march all the way into the heart. See Assyria up there? The very center of Assyria where it says Nineveh. It's over 400 miles over land that this prophet has to walk and think about what just happened. God didn't just drop him off right at the gates. God dropped him off and let him contemplate. Next, we find ourselves in the text at Jonah 4, one through four. Jonah 4, one through four. At the very end of this, Jonah has marched into the city of Nineveh. He has done what God has asked very reluctantly. The people of Nineveh have Made amends with God. God has offered grace. Instead of a spirit of offense from the Lord to Jonah, God offers grace to try to purge it out of him. The spirit of the Lord towards those in Nineveh, he offers his grace to try to rescue them from the destruction, the road of destruction they are already on. And Jonah dislikes all of it. And in this final odd scene in the book, we find ourselves at Jonah 4, 1 through 4, and it says this, but it displeased Jonah. What displeased Jonah? All of what just happened. God rescues the sinful sailors. God makes Jonah sink into the darkness for three days as God works on his heart The heart of Assyria and all the darkness and horrible things they've done, God continues to offer grace to them, and then they actually repent of their sins, and Jonah hates all of it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you, do you, do you do well to be angry, O Jonah? A couple things. Can you see it? God desires intimacy with all humans, not only hedonistic Ninevites and drunken sailors, but he desires intimacy with believers gone bad. The story isn't just about Nineveh, it's about Jonah. The other thing that's important to pull out of this is God not only wants us to receive His loving charity. He continues to offer it even to Jonah. I'm going to continue to use you, I'm going to continue to try to speak through you. I'm going to continue to work on your heart or on your heart. God not only wants to receive his, us to receive His loving charity, but He wants us to participate in offering it to others. Listen, this is so incredibly important. God wants you, oh, room full of I mean, me too, we all have a tendency to be a Jonah. God not only wants to offer you grace, he wants you to be a conduit of it, a receiver and an offerer of grace. Now, it's important to note, grace does not mean open permission. It's like, you do you. That's not grace. Grace is deeply desiring people to align their hearts with God. That is the most gracious thing. That in which saves somebody for forever. The book of Jonah isn't about Nineveh, it's about Jonah. God is showing his charity to people who don't deserve it, and the center character that doesn't deserve the charity of God but finds himself with it is Jonah himself. I'm going to invite Joshua, and I want to offer some final thoughts on this as we kind of pull it all together. The, see, the really weird thing is the way this book is written. It's wanting the reader to go, oh, I might be Jonah. I might be Jonah. I mean, the very metaphor, the actual story that plays out and how it plays into this, like, metaphor. So it's like, The darkness of the fish, and God working on his heart, the loneliness that a spirit of offense brings you to, the road to reconciliation. I mean, the whole book is full of Jonah's heart being worked on by God. And then like oddly, the way the book ends is we just see Jonah mad. I don't know, I mean, it, it, if you're, I, I like to read these stories, I like to sometimes read them a verse at a time, you know, and then it's sometimes fun just to read like the whole book at once. And when you read the whole book at once, it kind of feels like a movie that got stopped part way through. You know, I don't know if you've ever been, I had this happen, I remember being younger when I was in high school, I went to the movie theater once, and we were literally watching a movie. I don't even remember what movie it was, but we were watching a movie, and then It stopped. He like, dunk, 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 And the lights come on like, we're sorry, we're having technical difficulties. We're not going to be able to get this going if you want it. And it's like, what just happened? The movie's not even done. What happened? How'd it finish? That's how Jonah feels if you just read it. Like, what happened to this guy's heart? Some scholars believe the fact that the story was written down shows Jonah's heart was actually changed. Like he's literally telling his own story of how God rescued him. But what we find is this. Nothing keeps us from the love of God being offered to us. But what keeps you from experiencing intimacy with those most lost in culture, with the drunken sailors, with the powerful kings, even intimacy with yourself and your brothers and sisters. What prevents you from experiencing intimacy of God is a spirit of, we are Jonah. We are people who have received the grace of God but have lost the ability to enjoy and walk in intimacy. You've received the grace of God but you've lost the ability to enjoy and walk in intimacy. We are an offended people. We are an easily offended people. Our weaponizing of righteousness backfires on us and we lose the joy of intimacy with God and others. So there I am sitting down with my best friends, my accountability partner from years and years ago. We played sports together in high school. We've had kids together, and we have a lot of different views. I mean, we've grown a ton since high school. I don't know if you know this, but you keep growing after you get out of high school, right? Like, your thoughts and ideas and perspectives on the world continue to grow, And I'm sitting in a room with a bunch of guys who literally know the worst dirt on me. In fact, one of our packs is, this is the group in which we hold no secrets. They can literally ask anything, and we do. So it's like, how much money are you making? How much did you make last year? What were the primary things you spent the money on? What are you looking at on your computer? We even use software where we share among the group. Everything that we do online digitally with each other, right? like. We hold no secrets. This is a group in which we hold no secrets. So here's the wild thing. They know things about me and all of my life that most people I bump into would have long abandoned me over. But they don't run. They don't leave. They don't run away. These people don't run away. In fact, when we have gathered as a group and some of them have brought some very dark, heavy things to the table, and when they bring their very dark, heavy things to the table, things that have even been offensive to me, when they bring these dark things to the table, I don't think, oh, God bless your heart, in the most like condescending way possible that southern people do. The very places where the grace of God was needed most is where love has actually been seen the strongest. A spirit of offense is the enemy of intimacy. And by refusing, by refusing to take a posture of offense, by refusing to take a posture of offense in our hearts, it's given us the framework to build friendship at a level I have never had with anybody else. Here's the wild thing, if you refuse charity, there's going to come a day when you're going to need to have charity for your own failures, but all you will have practiced is offering offense, and one day you're going to need that charity towards your self. Spirit of offense is the great enemy of intimacy. Spirit of offense is the great enemy of intimacy. Okay, so here it is. Jonah. If you read the whole story all the way back to like Amos and 2 Kings and the other things that are about Jonah, Jonah is offended at his people, he's offended at God, he's offended with the people that have wronged his people, he's offended, he's offended, he's offended, he's even offended with himself. And where do you find Jonah in a deep, dark, black cave alone. Grace is offered. And where do you find him again? Not celebrating God's grace with the Ninevites or with the sailors or even God's grace to himself. You find him alone, outside of town, grumbling and complaining. A spirit of offense is the enemy of intimacy. Intimacy. I actually, uh, I, I love poetry. This is such a nerdy part of me, okay? So I don't share this very often, but I do poetry in my journal. Once in a while, I'll share it with you. So I'm just gonna end with this, okay? So, uh, and then I want you to reflect. In the deepest part of the heart, a tale of redemption often starts. Journey paved by forgiveness grace, where scars and hurts Find tender embrace. When forgiveness blooms like a soft flower, it has the potential to wield a great power. For in its wake, love begins to arise. Walls will crumble and souls will synchronize. So let charitable love be our guiding light that illuminates the darkest night. For in its wake, love's radiance gleams, forgiveness fulfilling our relational dream. It is a spirit of offense that keeps us from intimacy. If you would, pull out the Next Steps card and um, let me just ask this question. Who do you need to offer grace to? Is there a place of offense that is standing in the way of you getting into deeper relationship, deeper intimacy? What does God want you to do about it? Lord, I love you. Help us just to reflect. Help us to learn from Jonah so that we don't become a Jonah. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital Next Steps card at Next Steps.